You're in with the ghost of radio, and welcome back to this, our shared podcast and our origin season, birth time of the cauldron, and temporary yet eternal residence of the special seasonal cauldronette. Wherever and whenever you are listening to this, it is October, the season in which we first gathered round to listen to, make sense of, discuss and enjoy mid-century horror radio. That's worth celebrating. And that's why we have our special seasonal cauldronette, which has ghosted for me episodes that ratchet up in increasing terror to commemorate. So let's see what is thrust up into my hand this time. Ah, this time it is called Atrophy. Atrophy by the Black Mass. Go out to the darkness of the internet. Type in relicradio.com. They have everything. Or archive.org, the Internet Archive, or just go into a non-tracking search engine and type in Black Mass Radio. It will be important to type in radio if you want to get here, as you do. Soon you will be listening to this episode. Soon you will find it. All too soon it will find you. Off you go. See you soon. Oh, we are back. We are back from listening to Atrophy from the Black Mass. And what did you make of it? Girl, as always, with this cauldronette, we find ourselves thinking, is there really one more episode left after something like this? (laughs) Ah, there is. But for now, let's deal with what we were just given. Atrophy. Mm. Now, we know the Black Mass has given us some of our most frightening episodes, all of them um, adaptations of existing stories. They were not originally written for the Black Mass, but one of its great triumphs when it's good, and when it's good, it is very good, is that the Black Mass knew how to adapt. It just knew how to walk that line of quoting the original material at length but not just reading to you. And here we have something acted out by two people very, very well, don't we? Oh, this is a story that so repays repeated listening, if you can bear it. You won't be repeating this one for a while, but sometime a few months from now, you will, with a little bit of reservation and wariness, find yourself listening to it again. So much comes through with every listen, but as this is our first, let's go through it. Let's start with the always, always perfect intro to the Black Mass. Welcome to the Black Mass.
tonight. We come to you in a lighter mood. Here is a story by John Anthony West, selected for you and directed by Bernard Mays. The adaptation was by Richard Rowland. Pat Franklin is heard as Marjorie and Bernard Mays as George. The story is one that could happen to anyone in front of their TV. We call it Atrophy. Oh, when someone like the presiding spirit of the Black Mass tells you that they're telling you a light-hearted story, you know just how bad it's going to be. Atrophy, when your muscles lose all of their power. When you break your leg and you can't walk on it, the muscles atrophy. When you finally get the cast off and you can put weight on it, you feel how weak that leg is. You can't quite use it. It takes a while to build the muscle back up. Here in our story of atrophy, we see some force, not ever explained what force, exacting a horrible revenge on a man who has let himself atrophy in every way, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Everything about George has lost its force and strength and power from a lifetime of sitting passively in front of the TV. When we meet them, as we will in this next clip, George and Marjorie, our married couple, yes, there is a bit of name repetition in this episode, but that's not what we walk away thinking about, is it? Not this time. When we meet them, the first thing we hear is a TV on and the commercial that's playing. And that runs, of course, all the way through the episode. No matter what happens to them, they never get up. Marjorie never gets up to turn off the TV. You wouldn't want to turn off the set. We know from word one that this is a very extreme case of atrophy, and it's going to bring down a very extreme punishment. Let's get our intro to our couple. This message can save you hours and hours of pain. Headache pain, pain, depression, pain. Oh, what's the matter? Foot's gone to sleep, that's all. George, cut it out. You're you're making an image jump. I'm sorry, dear. I must have been sitting in the same position too long. George, dear, you don't have to make quite such a fuss about it. I can't help it. Depression. Have to wake it up. Anxiety, fatigue. Everybody's foot falls pain. asleep. My, foot, my foot's tablets. asleep right now. In minutes, headache, pain is gone. So oh. depression's gone. The least you can do if you must fatigue. hop, dear, pain is to hop gone. out in the hall. I'll be damned if I hop out in the hall just to wake up my foot. You are being childish again. Childish? What's childish? What's childish about waking my foot up? It's your attitude that's childish. Attitude? I'm trying to wake up my foot. If you'll just sit down, dear, and forget it, it'll pass. All right, I suppose it'll pass. George. What? What do you think you're doing? Can't I take off my shoes? Suppose someone comes. I suppose they do. You're sitting there with your shoe off. Well, can't I take off my shoes in my own house? 
but you only took off one shoe. I'm afraid I don't see the difference. You're completely insensitive. All right, we'll watch the program. Yes, they're presented as being, you know, sort of uptight English people. But that's not the problem here. You could be as uptight as you like, I suppose, as long as you were still living in the real world, which they are no longer doing, right? That's the whole thing. Their worlds have been narrowed down to a very tight routine, which is very inactive and very divorced from reality, the physical world of being outside, the world, social world of other people, the world of doing anything with your body, working with your hands, dancing, anything. They don't do it anymore. To the point where when he is walking around, stomping his foot, trying to wake it up, She's very disturbed by that. Marjorie has never seen him be this active in years. It's weird to her. It's very weird for her to see him up walking about. That's how bad it is. That's how bad it has become. She hasn't even seen him sit with his shoes off in their living room. The physical body is so far from their thoughts that they don't even see their own body parts anymore. They're always clothed unless they're in bed. This is where we've gotten to. And of course, what's lying underneath all of this already is it's both of them, right? It's the both of them. Do you really think George is the only one who's going to be stricken by atrophy? This is just part one. This is just atrophy, colon, George's story. We know Marjorie's is coming. We can't get into all of that yet. That's what haunts us at the very end. So let's wait till we get to that very end. First, we will hear George describe his very circumscribed routine, where he will say that he usually only gets up and goes to the water cooler at work once a day. He lays in bed, he wakes up, he walks to the subway, he sits on the subway, he walks to the office. He sits all day except for one time when he gets up. Then he subways home sitting down and then he sits down in front of the TV until he goes to bed. His body has been dead for a long time. Maybe you sprained it walking around. Well, how would I do that? Oh, I don't know. Where did you walk today? Well, my usual walking, what do you think? I walk from the subway to the office and I walk to the water cooler twice. No, it was three times. You see? Usually you only go to the water cooler twice. Yes, but I went to the men's room once. That makes up for it. You're always talking about things you don't know the first thing about. How am I supposed to know usually you go twice? That's precisely what I mean. Let's forget the whole thing. Still, you can overexert a tendon and not know it. Remember Geraldine Roberts? Yeah. She fell down the subway stairs and broke three ribs and didn't know a thing about it for a week. I didn't fall down the subway stairs. I didn't overexert a tendon, and Geraldine Roberts was stewed to the ears when she fell. So what? Your friend Walter is a complete lush. We weren't talking about Walter. <clears throat> Does it hurt? No. You walk like a war hero, George. Only hurts when I laugh. I am not a war hero, and I don't want to walk like one. 
Don't be such a milquetoast, George. You, you could have been a war hero. How could I have been a war hero? Outside. I was in Jersey training recruits the whole time. Yes. Your, your, your training recruits and a nervous private drops a hand grenade. In another second, you see the whole regiment will be blown to smithereens and you, and you leap on top of it oh and... Oh, my they... God, all of which results in a stiffened foot, I suppose. Besides, I was training them to use a calculating machine. And if someone dropped a hand grenade near me, you can bet that... Oh. Marjorie, Marjorie, my, my other foot's gone stiff. I, I can't move it. Is it the memory of the inactive role he played in World War II that makes the other foot go? Not that there is anything wrong with being someone who trained people to do desk work during the war. That had to be done as well. But we get the feeling that when the war came around, either when George was drafted, he was found physically unfit and had to have a desk role, or it was choosing that desk role, accepting it, that started him on the path to this deadly atrophy that he has now. Notice that the program on their television the whole time is a Western. The rugged cowboy who's always out being active, always outside, always outside, always racing about. Sure, he rides a horse a lot, but other than that, the active cowboy. And it's such a fantasy, right? It's a fantasy, this cowboy that America dreamt up in the 20th century. That's going to be important, too, because they're going to continue to play this cowboy show as as George and Marjorie get worse and worse. And crucially, as Marjorie begins to spin a web of fantasy about their lives, past, present, and future. First, though, she's going to call the doctor, who is definitely not going to say, oh, this is the first time I've ever heard of this. We get the sense that the doctor is hearing about cases of atrophy every single day in this lazy 20th century. Yeah, you know, you know, I think it's a little... Not a juice or juice product. Marjorie, Marjorie, my knee. It's my knee. I can't move my knee. Uh, Look, look, will you look, please? Oh, for God's sake, look here. My knee's completely stiff. George, dear, relax. Please relax. I'll go and call the doctor. Please relax now. Relax. Hello? 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 Operator. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. Oh, he's not in. Marjorie, what's taking so long? The doctor wasn't in, dear. I'm calling another one. My God. Hello? Oh, Marjorie! Marjorie, for the love of God, my, my other knee! My other knee's paralysed. Tell, tell him to hurry. I really can't carry on two conversations at once, dear. Marjorie, my knee! Well? Well? Well what? Well, what do you think? What is it? What did he say? Just what I told you. Nothing serious. Huh. Well, did he know what it was? Of course he knew. Did you think you were the only one? I told you. All right, all right. No sermons. Tell me what he said. What is it? Atrophy. Atrophy? Atrophy? Plain, common, atrophy. 
John Stantrophy? So that's it, Entropy. Well, at least we know what it is. I told you. I told you. Wasn't knowing that scared me. Well, now, what do we do about it? Hmm? Well, nothing. Nothing? Nothing? You mean to tell me that I have a fatal disease? I have a fatal disease and you sit there calmly and tell me there's nothing we can do? George, get hold of yourself. There's nothing fatal about the disease. The doctor said not to worry. Nothing can be done about it. But there are absolutely no dangerous effects. Oh, well, I suppose that's a relief. Uh, nothing we can do. You know that you have reached a crisis point of inaction if hearing that you are about to lose all of your ability to move your body just makes you feel tired, like, oh, don't tell me I'm going to have to get up and do something about it. Oh, the doctor says there's nothing to be done? Oh, good. That's a relief. Because George doesn't like to do much of anything. Now, he still knows somewhere in the back of his mind that this is wrong, that he should have been more active, that it isn't, you know, this isn't about physical fitness exactly. It's about the refusal to be part of the natural world, just the refusal which we are able to perpetrate now. In today's world, nowadays, we can be as divorced from the outside world as we want to. And we can do as little as we want and be as sedentary as we want and not even notice. So when he thinks about, oh, yeah, I could have gone for a walk. I was going to. I was going to. Of course, he wasn't going to, as Marjorie says. And it's all fake. And it's really his last little gasp of, oh, yeah, maybe I went down the wrong path. Doesn't last very long. It can't last very long because... Your brain is part of your body. And if your body goes, your brain goes. And his ability to even think differently, let alone physically act differently, has been long gone. The brain atrophied first. Now... Well, we can start from scratch, George, dear. We'll start a new life. I can't walk anymore. I, I can't go for a simple stroll. You never went for walks, dear. When did you ever take a walk? That isn't the question. It's that now I can't even if I wanted to, and I was planning on taking a walk, actually. When? Well, this Sunday. I was going to walk around the block. You have to stop thinking this way, George. You, you can't give in to self-pity. <laughs> Such a simple thing. A stroll around the block. Stop it, George. You know you wouldn't have gone. I was planning to. There's nothing on the other side of the block, anyhow. How do you know? I've been there. And there's nothing? Nothing. Well, hardly That's what I mean. You see, I wanted to see for myself. George... You must take my word for it. There's nothing interesting to be seen. Oh, yes, Marjorie will be next. Now, this is where the story just becomes relentless in how upsetting it is. <laughs> this story teeters on the sick. It's just presented so well. It's done so well. His acting, his voice acting is really good the man playing George. And Marjorie is good too. It's this horrible thing happening that you can really picture as he becomes imprisoned in his own body. And yes, that is the cauldronette's theme this origin season, isn't it? Being trapped against your will. First, we add a literal prison cell. And then 
we had one's own lack of morality and then a literal spider's web being trapped into that. And then we had being trapped on your own planet as someone else takes it over. And now we have this trapped inside your own body. This is just a piece, right? It's just another part of the idea that we encountered last time in Northern Lights, that the place you are meant to be suddenly becomes a prison. In Northern Lights, it's happening because of some alien force. What is happening here? What is the malevolent force doing this to George, turning his body into an alien prison? Who is it? What is it? You cannot help but picture it for yourself because it's such a familiar setting, sitting on the sofa watching TV. You picture it very clearly and the panicky feeling that starts very early just continues now. They really start to ramp it up. It's very relentless. And this is the point at which Marjorie starts to crack. Well, it's not so bad, not so bad at all. In fact, you know, we'll have more money. We can buy the things we've always wanted. My own needs will be less. Uh, just let me have... Don't do that, dear. Don't do what? Reach for the peanuts. Who knows? Any minute now and you'll be reaching for peanuts the rest of your life. Oh, Marjorie. I'm serious. If you want something, dear, ask me for it. Is there anything you want? You can still move from the waist... <clears throat> my waist. The uh, atrophy hit my waist. Won't oh. it stop, George? Why won't it stop, George? Won't it stop? Why us? Why not someone else? That's uh, selfish thinking, dear. Sitting around that's so awful. This awful sitting, watching it happen. Different if I I went out to a, to, a, to, a, to a cinema and came back and found you atrophied and this dying by inches. You know I'm not dying, and please don't get emotional. Oh, don't lift your arm. Don't do that. Tell me what you want, and I'll do it for you. Oh, well, it's only a small thing. Anything, George, no matter how small. Uh, would you uh, scratch my nose for me? A little higher. <laughs> Thanks. Whole life ahead of you, and you'll never be able to scratch yourself. Oh, George, I'll have to be beside you always, to scratch for you. No, when the atrophy is set in, there's no sensation at all, actually just a few moments. That's the worst part of all. A whole life to live and you'll never know what it is to itch. Oh, my dear. You know what I'll miss? I'll miss making myself snacks for the late show. Oh, we are happy to miss that very, very long scene where he narrates looking inside the refrigerator at the different foods he can have. The only contact George has with the natural world is wanting to eat, having favorite foods to eat while he watches television. So I guess standing in front of the refrigerator was one form of exercise he took. And his obsessive detailing shows that this is the only part of the natural world that he even registers anymore, how it can be turned into food for him to eat while he's watching TV. Oh, it's bad, and we don't want to hear that again. 
let's get into the turn toward the end where Marjorie really starts creating the fantasy of their past, present, and future that is going to help her deal with this. And that's frightening too. They both just want to deal with it. They both want to cope with it. Neither of them makes any attempt to stop it. They just want to be able to deal, to not have anything interrupt their lives. And if she has to spin a web of fantasy, then that's what she will do, even though it's clearly generated by her real feelings of panic and reassessment. Nothing's more frightening than feeling like you have to reassess your life. That's the most frightening thing in the world. To realize maybe you've been living your life the wrong way and now it's too late to change? Oh, that is a prison you don't want to be trapped in. And she squirms to get out of it. Really, darling, it doesn't matter. Oh. I can. Oh, the arm just went. Oh, you know those roses? George! Oh, made it. <laughs> Peanuts. Oh, you mustn't do that. You want to give me heart failure. George, you know what could happen. Just one more second. Yes, but I did make it, you know. There's nothing to worry about. Promise me you won't do that again. All right, I promise. But I had to reach for my last handful of peanuts, you know. You have more courage than most men, George. No one will ever tell me that my husband was a coward. Oh, don't be silly. It was now, don't be modest, George. You know perfectly well that most men would have just sat there. Men with less character would have hesitated. The other arm. Look, look, see? You see? That split second was all. Other men would have been less decisive. And in that time... But you, George, you defied fate. Oh, Oh, I go all week inside when I think of it, George. I really do. Yes, she really does, because she really needs to. But thinking about him as a hero, like that cowboy on the screen that you get the feeling she's still watching. You feel that they are both still facing straight ahead, watching that show while this happens. That cowboy who she's making George into, the brave, bold, rugged hero, makes her think of something very physical that she hadn't thought of before. And maybe two things hit her at once, that there was something physical that she enjoyed about having a body, and that she hadn't really, really appreciated it enough. And so she has to spin a very glamorous, grandiose story of heroism for both of them about that one. We can't make love anymore. We aren't husband and wife. We aren't lovers anymore. Mm, I hadn't thought of that. Not another chance. Never again. Oh, George. That was the best part, George. I, I loved most then. Always in your arms and the little light glowing. You always said such silly little things. I loved you most then, George. It's my fault, George. All my fault. If I'd been a little more understanding before, if I'd listened to my intuition just a while ago, when it was just your foot, we could have had one last chance. Just one last time in your arms. Well, we just didn't think of it, Marge. I didn't, and you didn't. Anyway, it isn't Wednesday. 
And it's no use crying over spilt milk. Our quarrels were made up there, George. The nights were all soft and tender. In your arms I was a, a princess at dawn, George, beside my sleeping prince. It was marvellous. It was perfect, wasn't it? Yeah. We were passionate. Yeah. Each day was an experience, wasn't it, George? Every night, eight hours out of paradise. We were happy. So very happy, weren't we, George? Yeah. We did things together. What lives we led. Everyone envied us. We made life so exciting. Never fought, never bickered like other couples. We were happy, weren't we? Mom? Oh, yes, I said we were. We were very happy. The nights, George. How will I get through the long nights alone? We're so young, George. Our lives were all before us. So young. I'm 32, George. A girl. A young girl. And you? 34. Your life has just begun. Yes, well, I didn't think of it, and you didn't think of it. And besides, it isn't Wednesday. So this passionate lovemaking, which she builds up into Harlequin romance levels, was something they did once a week. And you don't know whether it actually did maybe mean that much to her, maybe because it was so rare, or whether this is all the fantasy of somebody who realizes that her known life is ending and a new life is beginning and she has to have the best possible story to tell about it. Get the feeling that it's the latter. All right, every time that George says another part of his body is gone, it is scary. It just is. It is really frightening every time he says it. You keep thinking something will happen to save him. It does not Let's roll through to the ending, which ends in a place that you just did not expect. You didn't think everything would be stripped away from him, but his prison is indeed complete. It's all over, George. Our lives are finished. There's nothing left for us. No, that's not true, Marge. We can still talk. Yes. Yes, we can still talk. That's right, George. We can still talk. Talk to me, darling. Well, I can't just talk. I have to have something to say. <laughs> of course. And when you think of something, you'll talk to me, won't you, George? Promise me. You mustn't worry, darling. I'll always be beside you whenever you need me. I'll stay by your side always. I'll never leave you for another. No. I'll refuse all invitations. Oh. I won't let myself be tempted. George. George, look at me. Well, I can't, you know. My eyes are focused straight ahead at the television. I didn't even know it. Well, it's almost over. Thank God for that. George, are you blind? Can you see? Yes, I, I can see. Aren't you afraid, George? No, 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 I'm... I'm not, not flayed. George! It's not your normal voice. Not that, too. George! George, talk to me. I'm frightened. Say something. Some last thing. Don't leave me like this. Tell me what it's like. What do you feel? I've got to know, George. It's, it's not, not so bad. It, not... Not better, not better at all. Really, I, 
I, I, I quite, quite like it. <laughs> Girl, please. Oh, what an ending. To have even his voice taken away. Well, it is a physical part of your body. Vocal cords have to vibrate, don't they? You have to inhale and exhale. I mean, again, as always, the unspoken questions are the worst. So is he going to still be able to breathe? And he will just sit there forever? Or, I mean, breathing requires your muscles and your body and your organs to move. I mean, it has to stop, too. What would be worse, for him to die like that or for him to live on? In this case, contrary to our mid-century horror intuition, I think it would be for him to die. Uh, Marjorie keeps talking about how, thank God it's almost over. You know, I'll always remember that my husband was... I don't like you dying by degrees like this. And all the time that she's basically writing him off as basically already dead, he protests and we protest like, well, you know, he's not going to die. You know, something, something creepy will happen. But the idea that you can just go from your normal life to dead in 10 minutes through a horrible, horrible piece by piece shutdown that you're very aware of, you find yourself really empathizing with George. You don't want him to die like this. You don't want him to suffer this terrible fate. There's got to be something. And that's why when at the end he is forced to spend at least some time just staring at the television, unable even to blink, his eyes will eventually dry out. Oh, unable to speak. It is the most complete kind of prison. This is one hell of an episode. And it's something that makes us wonder why the Black Mass is still so unknown, even amongst those of us who like to listen to mid-century horror radio. Maybe stories like this were just too much for those who didn't have the support of others around a cauldron. All right, let's get our outro from the Black Mass. It won't provide any comfort. That was Atrophy, adapted by Richard Rowland from a story by John Anthony West. Bernard Mays played George, and Pat Franklin played Marjorie. The technical production was by Fred Seiden. And now... Good night. that bass is somehow not even something you can really hear. But if you're listening with headphones, you feel it vibrating you.
to feel a vibration inside your body at the end of this episode more powerful than it might usually have been. That is atrophy from the black mass, and there's nothing you can do about it. Isn't that a relief? There's nothing to be done. Do you think George is the only one? Many, many people have atrophy. As Marjorie is probably about to find out, we don't know how long we have been sitting here around this cauldron. Hopefully not so long that we have to apply any part of the moral of this story to ourselves. Oh, prisons upon prisons this time around for the origin season. Makes us tremble when we think about next week, now doesn't it? Makes us wonder if we are ready in Barking, Hot Yai, Hempstead, Carol Stream, or Enid for what's coming, to end us and to begin us. All we know is that we probably will be back. We'll probably tune in to the show again, because that's what we do. Wherever we are, however we are. But until that culminating moment, go your way this week. Be safe, be happy, and I'll see you soon. I, I, I quite, quite like it.